Good afternoon. This is Arthur Katarai, senior partner of A2K Advisory. This is the second episode of uh, the Right Advice podcast. And today we're having the CEO of uh, Standard Bank in DRC, Mr. Amedeo Anicielo. Thank you for having us, Mr. Anicielo. Good afternoon and not very nice to meet you. Thank you. <laughs> well, well St Standard Bank is the, the biggest bank in Africa. Uh, the biggest corporate bank in the DRC. Um, it's been 160 years that you, you guys are in existence, uh, 30 years in the DRC. Obviously, you, you financed uh, a lot of projects in the mining sector, the natural resource sector um, in DRC, but also in Africa, generally speaking. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with uh, your background because you, you're of Italian origin, you were you know, born in South Africa. Um, can you tell us a little bit uh, more about it or in, in regards to your interest in banking as well, how it started? Great, thanks very much. So yes, I'm Italian of origin. I was born in Johannesburg and grew up there. and did all my schooling in Johannesburg mm -hmm. and then uh, went to college. Um, at college, I did a diploma in financial management and a a diploma in international financial management mm -hmm. and then um, I studied law as well during that process. Once I had uh, graduated I then looked and saw what are the different opportunities in the market and uh, sat down with my dad and said well where do I go from here mm -hmm. and at that point I had received three different job offers. One was to go to a law firm to go and do articles but I had to spend five years doing articles and I said, no, no, I'm too young to be locked away for five years pushing a pen around. Uh, the other was in a, a company that was listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange okay. uh, who wanted a law officer. Okay. And I thought that was quite an interesting uh, proposal. And the third one was with uh, Société Générale, the okay. French banking group, Absolutely. who had a small presence in Johannesburg at the time. And I decided to go into banking with a view to say, well, once I get into banking, I'm sure that many different business opportunities will arise and I will see what would be the best for me from a banking perspective or from a career perspective, having the banking experience. Okay. I started off in risk, specifically credit risk, and then grew up through the ranks. And after about five or six years, I was the head of uh, risk for Sukjain in uh, Johannesburg. Mm -hmm and was offered an opportunity to transfer from Johannesburg to Cape Town nice. to go and transform the office there and to rebuild the office that we had in Cape Town. So that was quite an interesting move, had coming from the risk background to go into the, uh, the business background. Mm -hmm. So 38 years later, here I am and still in banking, waiting to decide what it is that I want to do. Fantastic. Well, I mean, it's a very good combination, low, and in banking, because uh, obviously those are two categories that uh, regulate uh, our lives, daily lives, in regards to uh, you know what we do, uh, generally speaking. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. And I think you know if you look at over the years, um, and especially since 2007, 2008 financial crisis, mm -hmm. there is a much higher level of 
compliance and governance that is imposed on banks okay. in terms of making sure that regulations are followed and um, that the processes that the banks use are a lot more aligned with regulatory and are not taking chances on different market environments. Mm. So I think certainly since 2007 and 2008, the, that crisis, banks are far more regulated they're far more strict in their approach to how they manage their businesses. Mm -hmm. And I think it's become a less risky environment. Um, but we're in the business of risk. So it's a question of how do you mitigate those risks? How do you manage those risks in order to ensure that uh, you're able to perform the business as well as and efficiently as you can, uh, providing returns to your shareholders mm -hmm. and keeping your depositor money safe. Most definitely, most definitely. And in regard uh, to uh, in regards to that same professional experience that uh, that you've had, uh, you've you've worked in many African countries. Um, you know, from what I can remember, Gabon, uh, Algeria, Zambia, South yeah, Africa. Yeah, so obviously. this is now the sixth country in Africa sixth. that I've worked in, if you include South Africa. Okay. So from South Africa, I was uh, transferred to Gabon mm -hmm. uh, with Citibank at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I spent 15 and a half years with Citibank. Uh, initially, I was part of the team that opened the office for Citibank in Cape Town. Okay. Um, as I say, I transferred to Gabon, spent uh, two and a half years in Gabon, then I went to Zambia for three years, uh, then from Zambia to Algeria for three and a half years, Algeria to Ghana, Ghana to DRC. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. And interestingly enough, in each of those cases, it was at a particularly difficult time in the history of those countries. Okay. So, and what what, what have you drawn as a as a conclusion in regards to this experience in each of those experiences in both yeah. particular countries? So, looking uh, back on my career over the last thirty eight years, I think a lot of my time has been spent on restructuring, reorganizing. Um, refreshing businesses uh, and particular branches to make sure that they become viable contributing enterprises mm -hmm. and that's basically what I've been asked to do. And how, how have you managed the in-countries, um, you know, cultures and realities that are different from one country to another? So uh, uh, fortunately, you know, having been born in South Africa, mm -hmm. I consider myself to be an African um, and working with uh, different cultures, ethnicities, ideologies, political environments, languages, um, even religions in some case. Mm -hmm. You learn to adapt in each of those markets. And that's what I think been one of the fortes is being very adaptable and learning quickly to understand those markets, who the people are, what are their requirements, okay. and how do we integrate the business with the the local environment. Oh, very interesting, very interesting. Um, so from Citibank and then you came to Standard, Standard Bank, Bank. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting uh, transition. You know, from yeah, so I was with, um, in Ghana I was with Fidelity Bank for a year, okay. um, so that was a, a short sojourn between the two, mm -hmm. and then from Fidelity I joined Standard Bank, mm -hmm. where I've been for almost the last five years. Okay. And uh, obviously Standard is, is, is the the biggest bank in Africa, um, and it, you know, it had uh, since 2007, I believe, uh, with ICBC um, 
which is the biggest bank in the in, in the world, the Chinese bank. Mm. Uh, you've had a partnership in which. Uh, yeah. So the ICBC acquired twenty percent of Standard Bank. Okay. Um, and it's now a very strong relationship that we have together with the Chinese. Mm -hmm. And from their perspective, we are the primary corridor okay. for Chinese business and investment into Africa, mm -hmm. and also from Africa back to China. Okay. So being the biggest partners together in our respective markets, mm -hmm. uh, we have a very strong relationship together and we provide very strong synergies. Okay. And that gives you almost what, a limited you know, financial power to, to finance the appropriate project that you deemed uh, yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's unlimited mm -hmm. um, because everything has to be managed and measured according to the requirements. Of course. In a lot of cases, we partner with other banks in local markets. We do syndications, we do club deals, mm -hmm. we do um, various transactions where we're not the sole banker to that transaction. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, as you know, uh, DRC has many uh, extraordinary assets uh, in regards to natural resources. Uh, but there has been a lack of uh, liaison between the assets and the capital available for s many projects to, to get going. Uh, how, how is that uh, possible to be able to liaise those two in an environment that is uh, you know, complicated in many instances? Uh, and I, I, I've had the, the, the thoughts to be sometimes naive and thinking that you know, because the assets are there and because the capital is there, you know, usually there shouldn't be any issues to, to get project going. But the the business climate makes it that sometimes it's uh, a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, from from your perspectives in in, in different countries and, and no, absolutely. And, and I think you background. know you look look across all of the different countries, all of Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and the risk profile from an economic risk or political risk or sovereign risk, each one of them has their own particular nuance. <laughs> if we look at the DRC, DRC is blessed to have $24 trillion of mining resources or mineral resources in the ground. And where you say that there's capital available, <laughs> people also look at the risk at deploying that capital in a particular market. What is the risk that I put my money into that country but I'm not able to repatriate that capital in due course? Mm -hmm. How am I going to get my investment returns out of that country? So investors take a very close look at each of the different countries. Mm -hmm. And in making that decision to invest capital, there has to be a very high level of certainty Most definitely. that um, I'm going to be able to get the capital back plus the return on that investment. For sure. So, capital is available globally. Mm -hmm. um, DRC, like other countries across Africa, have had its uh, political risks, mm -hmm. has had its economic risks. And in the mining sector, people have been more optimistic in terms of the mining investments. Okay. Outside of that, it's been a little bit more restricted. We've seen um, some of the big multinational corporations that have exited the DRC. And if one goes back a little bit in history, at the time of independence, mm -hmm. DRC was the second most industrialized country in Africa after South Africa. That's correct. Mm -hmm. So the probability or the propensity for DRC to get back to that exists. Mm -hmm. It's now going to be a question of how do we resolve the political risk? Okay. How do we manage the economic risk? And how do we make sure that the country promotes itself to continue on that forward trajectory 
to achieve those objectives. Now, I think that uh, President Chisikedi has done a reasonably good job in addressing things like corruption and trying to put the country on a, a much more positive footing. There's been support from the IMF, the World Bank, um, various of the embassies are providing a lot of support to the local government, mm -hmm. and I think that's good. Now it's a question of, we had the uh, elections a couple of years ago, the next set of elections is at the end of 2023. Right. The country is in the process of preparing for those elections, mm -hmm. and it's absolutely critical that the country goes forward to have free, fair, transparent, um, bloodless, non-violent elections mm -hmm. which are accepted globally, whatever the outcome, mm -hmm. and that the country then continues on a, a, a positive momentum going forward. Oh, for sure, I agree 100%. Um, and in regards to go going back to mining, uh, what are the specifications on the project that uh, you usually finance? Uh, would they be artisanal, industrial, or semi-artisanal? So we focus primarily on big industrial uh, mining corporations, okay. so some of the majors. Um, we don't get involved in any artisanal mining, that's not our business model. Okay. I think Semi-industrial? We, we support the mining companies and the ecosystem of those mining companies. Okay. So uh, suppliers to the mines are potential clients of the bank. Mm. So we look at that as well. In terms of uh, artisanal mining, we know that the government are in the process of trying to put better controls and regulations around artisanal mining. And I think once that is in place, then potential projects around that may become more attractive okay. from a standard bank perspective. Mm. The demand for, for copper and cobalt uh, is going to quadruple uh, between now and 2050. Um, it's also going to drop double from between now and, and, and 2030. So um, many mining projects you know, related to copper and cobalt need to go online uh, to be able to absorb the demand um, for that, that particular metal. Uh, especially when you take into consideration uh, the electric vehicle uh, you know, demand that's going to go, uh, you know, that's going to skyrocket, uh, and obviously everything that's related to uh, you know to computers, phones, that use um, cobalt and copper. Uh, how do you see, you know, all this demand with the global energy transition that is uh, currently taking place, uh, and 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 the will to for the world economy to shift? from fossil fuels to an economy that is, good, that is supposed to be greener uh, than it actually is currently. Yeah, so absolutely. And I think if one looks at the last two years, maybe two and a half years, mm -hmm. because of the higher demand for copper and cobalt, some of the mines that had been in care and maintenance have come back into full production. Mm -hmm. And that has ramped up the uh, output. So that, I think, is critical. We've also seen one of the very big mines that has come on uh, come online, its yields are very good and its production is very high. Mm. So from that perspective we see continued growth in the mining industry. We're also starting to see that some of the big mining companies are starting to reconsider coming back into the DRC having exited previously mm -hmm. and we think that there are some significant opportunities there. Demand for copper, demand for copper will continue to grow because populations around the world are continuing to grow and as 
the emerging middle classes continue to have higher demands for all sorts of things, whether it's fridges or air conditioners or um, copper piping for water and so on, demand for copper will continue to grow um, as it has been. For cobalt, I think it's been a similar sort of story. And you talk about, you know, electrification of motor cars, computers, and so on. As the world becomes more digitized, there will continue to be a growth from that perspective. Where I see a challenge with cobalt, maybe, is that in the future, there may be new technologies that will replace cobalt as a resource. So it's already okay, I mean, it's under study. Correct. Currently. So will Tesla continue to have the demand on cobalt for its batteries in the future? We know that there will be a strong demand for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. But post that, what then? And we know that some of the new mines take you know, five, six years before they become productive and then it's in a 20-year capacity after that. So I think a lot of opportunity. I think there's a lot of opportunity in mining. And I think, you know, from a DRC perspective, it's blessed with not only copper and cobalt, mm. it's got gold, diamonds, tin, and many other different resources which are sure. in high demand and which have high prices now. Mm. The question is, well, how do you manage the, the risk associated with mining in some of the areas in where those resources are? and especially along the eastern frontier of the Congo, mm -hmm. where we know that there are a number of challenges. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Uh, as, 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 you, as we all know, um, private companies try to stay as far away from politics as possible, uh, because you know, you, you, you're there to make profit, you make, you're there to uh, be able to uh, you know, having a positive impact in, in the communities that you are operating in. Uh, but we see today that uh, there is this you know, situation that it's, it's hard to, to, to get away from, uh, from what's going on in the world. You know, we have the situation in, in, in Russia, which is a political situation, but when we look at the economic situation, it seems that you know, there is going to be less access to uh, you know, Russian oil and, and, and gas. Uh, we see the situation in, uh, in Saudi Arabia and, and, and Qatar, who those countries want to shift away uh, from the economy that is solely based on, on, on oil. That obviously is going to accelerate the energy transition. How can a country like the DRC can position itself within all this whole you know, economic, political uh, changes that are happening uh, currently uh, and that going to have an impact on, uh, on different economies, especially African economies? So I think from a DRC perspective, it's important that the political transition here continues on a positive trajectory, as I said earlier, because it's only with political certainty that you will get capital investment. The political certainty also then brings stability. <laughs> with that stability, you get economic growth and stability. Those are the drivers that will certainly empower the country to move forward into the future. They have the resources. For me, I think where some of the biggest opportunities exist is to do beneficiation of some of those resources in country rather than exporting raw materials and importing finished goods. Mm -hmm. How do we go back to a 
point in time when Peugeot and Ford and General Motors had plants in this country, when um, Nestle and Unilever had plants manufacturing in this country. Those are the things that the country should be focusing on in terms of doing local beneficiation. We have 7 million hectares of irrigated arable land in the country. How do we ensure that the produce from that arable land gets to market? Whether it's for uh, domestic consumption or for international um, export. If we don't have the infrastructure to be able to get those goods to market, then they go, you know, they sit on the farm and they go bad. It's so important that we know the populations are growing. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that from a DRC perspective, the potential to use that arable land efficiently and transform that output into benefit or beneficiation for the country is critical. Okay. For sure. It's a, it's a lot to... Uh to take and a lot to do in that regard to create a, a, a business climate that is uh, you know appropriate for investors to put their capital in. Absolutely and uh, if I look and, and there's no way around that. Um, absolutely and if I look at the five years that I've been in the DRC mm-hmm. in that short time I see already some transition. Mm-hmm. I've seen how people have started to change some of their ideology, some of their philosophy, some of the archaic mentality that says that DRC is a high-risk country, we can't go there. To saying DRC is a high-risk country, how do we invest there and achieve our objectives? Mm. And I think for me that is important. And certainly from our perspective as Standard Bank, um, as we do across the continent, we say that Africa is our home, we drive her growth. Mm. And our philosophy for the DRC is the same. How do we drive the growth in the DRC? So that's, that's a very, very, very good way to think about it. Um, the, the show is called The Right Advices. Uh, what would be your advice to uh, an individual or an enterprise uh, to be able to thrive in the, in the DRC in an environment that is, you know, in many instances, complicated? Uh, you know, access to capital for a small enterprise or even for a, b- a big enterprise or for an individual is not easy, or at least not as easy as uh, you can see in North America or, or Europe. Mm. How, how do you, uh, you know, bridge, bridge that gap uh, of difficulty between uh, you know, the ambition that you have and the goal that you want to reach? So I think, firstly, I wouldn't be giving advice to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not an advisor. I'm a banker. My viewpoint is that coming into this country, one needs to be aware of what the challenges are. And we know that it's a country that has very high regulatory controls and so on. In coming into the country, make sure that you follow the regulations to the spirit and letter of the law. Because if you try and breach that, Mm -hmm. you're going to fall foul of regulation and you will get into trouble. So be mindful and respectful of the Congolese. Mm -hmm. They are uh, the people that own and run the country incorporate them into your business and make sure that in terms of driving your own uh, business strategy that it's uh, you clearly understand what the end objective is and don't get involved in any mischievous behavior well thank you very much mr anisiello 
know, uh, we wish uh, Standard Bank the best in the RC. I know this is your 30 year anniversary this year. That's correct, yeah. Um, so you know, I'm sure you're going to be here for the next 30, uh, in, you know, 50 yeah, years and, and so on. And there's and no reason why not. I mean, you know, we've been here 30 years. The group has been around for almost 160 years. <laughs> and certainly our, our ambition is to continue to grow with this market. Absolutely. Well, we thank you very much and all the best uh, to Standard Bank. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you.